Everyone kind of jokes about booth time. And if you've never been in sales, booth time could be a painful existence. It's basically standing at an expo booth, awkwardly saying hello to people that are trying to avoid eye contact as they walk past you. But what I've found at channel partner events is that most of the people are there to learn about different technology offerings and different capabilities. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Incident Report. I'm your host, Paul Burke. Well, I'm one of your hosts. Across from me, Adam Burke. How are you doing? Good, Paul. Excited to be here. Ready to rock. Good day. Things are going well? So far, so good. It is, uh, it's approaching that time of year in the league that they pay for play. I got to be honest with you, I am very excited for football season to kick off, and I'm kind of tired of these preseason games. I'm ready to roll with the NFL to get back going. Adam, not that you're a betting man, but if you were, who would you think is going to take it this year? Are you hoping for the 49ers? Well, you might be hoping for the 49ers, but who are you, who are you putting your fictional money behind, Adam? I got a couple hundred bucks on the Bills for taking the Super Bowl this year. Not that I'm a Bills fan. Mm. or a Buffalo fan, or a fan of New York. Look at this Josh Allen fanboy. <laughs> Bill's on lock, Paul. It's a lock. You can take that to the bank. Take that to the bank, everybody. So you're already getting you're already getting something out of this podcast. Absolutely. I should probably mention what we do on this podcast. So here's what happens on this podcast. Adam brings wisdom, and I bring questions. I'm a marketing guy. I know how to use Photoshop, Adobe Premiere. I don't know a lot about tech. Adam does. He has thoughts and i have questions i'm listening and adam is sharing and for the new people who are just joining us today really appreciate you listening and i am often wrong but never in doubt so as long as you're not googling things i'm saying we should get along fine oh adam i just want to share real fast i had a very adult moment this morning i walked out and opened the garage door and literally muttered oh i gotta fix that garage door i watched a video for seven minutes where this guy talks about using wd-40 WD-40, creaky garage doors. I mean, all you got to do is shake your fist at the people driving too fast to school down your street and you're officially in old man territory. Back in my day, they respected the roads, but that's just times are changing. Okay, so up first, we have an article from Channel Insider. Adam, this article, a powerful piece, how IT vendors can attract channel partners. I don't know why I said that was sarcasm. It's actually a great piece. So Drew Rob, kudos to you for writing this article how IT vendors can attract channel partners. The channel has largely taken over from direct sales as the best way for IT vendors to sell their wares. Managed service providers and managed security service providers are steadily taking up more and more market share. Many IT vendors have launched their own subscription services in an attempt to safeguard market share, but that is far from enough. They must augment their direct sales efforts with a strong channel presence. This is an interesting statistic. However, anecdotal, However, anecdotal evidence suggests that IT vendors attract less than 20% of their partners through portals. So this article, Adam, dives into how, here are a few tips on how to find the audience and broaden your channel presence. And I would love your thoughts on it because it goes through a number of things. And the first one up is channel-focused events. Do you find that's a good place to get channel partners? Yeah, so the, the channel is an interesting one. We started our program back in 2010. 
And it's been a lot of learning going on. We, we have a partner, a technology service distributor, Avant, one of their founders, Drew, wrote an article about the death of direct sales. It's a really interesting article. If you get a chance to read it, maybe we can link to it. He talks about how the channel is becoming more and more important for people to select appropriate technology. And channel-focused events is really where IT vendors and really where Quest started our practice of just reaching out and letting people know that we had a channel program. You know, we were traditionally a VAR, moved into the managed services space, professional services, IT consulting, risk management strategies, things like that. Some back, you know, 2009, 2010, when we started, a lot of people didn't have that in the channel. It was historically a telecommunications and data center and primarily subscription-based services that were, were dominated by the channel. But, you know, like this article is saying, channel-focused events are a great opportunity to demonstrate to the independent agents and trusted advisor community out there that's you know looking for partners to help their customers. And they mentioned that it's important to play, pay close attention to the engagement mechanisms the various events provide to ensure they cater to the provider's needs. So take into consideration booths, pre-scheduled one-on-one meetings, and boardroom presentations fulfill different needs. Yeah, I mean, everyone kind of jokes about booth time. And if you've never been in sales, booth time could be a painful existence. It's basically standing at an expo booth, awkwardly saying hello to people that are trying to avoid eye contact as they walk past you. And that's at large showcases. So booth time can be rough. But what I've found at channel partner events is that most of the people are there to learn about different technology offerings and different capabilities. It's not an end user focused event because what happens with end users, like you go to like RSA, or any of the big, you know, big shows around the country. And end users will just get slammed with vendors. And, you know, they're getting emails and follow-ups and cold calls. And it's it could be a, it could be a little aggressive. At channel partner events, there where it's focused primarily on enabling people who want to sell your stuff to their customers or help help their customers with a need that you can help alleviate. They're trying to learn. So you're dealing with people who are curious about what you can, how you can help them help their customers, right? So everybody, everybody's walking through there is trying to stock their shelves in their imaginary store mm -hmm. of how they can help their customers. So it's a different dynamic. And then also besides booth time, there are breakout sessions and panel discussions and, you know, keynote speakers and people who can help communicate trends in the marketplace that you know, all these independent folks who are out there trying to bring the best of breed to their customers, it's hard to keep up on everything. Things are changing so quickly. Being able to showcase all the different offerings and all the different things that can help your customers in one location, it can be a great way to network. It's kind of like a Comic-Con, Adam, where if somebody's dressed as Wolverine, they're going to find there's somebody else dressed as Cyclops or, you know, your kitty prides of the world. No, it is not like that, but I get, I get their reference. It is like, People typically go like, we've gone to these shows before in the past. We're a managed service provider. We do managed security. We're always looking for better and different ways to help our customers. So, you know, similar to like these trusted advisors and agents and channel partners out there who are looking for new options. We're always trying to keep our ear to the street as well to figure out what's new, what's different and what's better out there for helping folks achieve what they're trying to do. If anybody understood what I was trying to say out there, if you want to repost this article with the hashtag Paul's not dumb. I would love to see that out there in Twitter. I appreciate that. 
Paul's Not Done will be trending by, by September 1st. I'm so excited. I'll be trending on Twitter. Up next, webinars and virtual events. A well-targeted virtual event may not attract a ton of attendees, but it should attract the right ones. Make sure it's focused on your target market's needs and make sure they get more than just a sales pitch, like solutions to problems they face. Adam, what do you think about webinars and virtual events? I don't know. This is kind of, it's kind of like reading a little bit of our own book here. We started a program, you know, during lockdown, during COVID times, helping to just do some education for our partners around areas that we had addressed for other clients and other partners. So Quest does a lot of different things and service providers do a lot of different things. You got to always be kind of educating and reaching out and saying, hey, here's what's worked with some folks. Here's what worked with others. We do a forum every quarter where we typically walk through a successful use case. We solicit feedback directly from our partners. And yeah, you don't get, you might not get thousands of people with you, but you do get people on there who are actively looking for help. And also it's a lot of fun because you get to act directly engage with them without, you know, getting on airplanes and flying to Las Vegas or Orlando for a full expo. Content marketing, Adam, what do you think about content marketing as a way to attract channel partners? You know, Paul, you as the, uh, as the marketing representative on, on this forum here, what are your thoughts around content marketing and kind of demonstrating thought leadership? What do you think works? Adam, I'm glad you asked. When you're using content to market, you have to show that you have expertise. I think people want to lean in and they're going to move towards people who are experts. So in the content marketing, if you are highlighting that you understand, you know, but you're also open to listening, you're going to attract the channel partners that you would like to work with. Yeah, very cool. I'd 100% agree with that. You know, the people really want to make sure that they're bringing the providers who can help their customers. And so I think, you know, having specific content around how you can help in different areas mm -hmm. helps kind of instill that confidence with, with partners. And I was just on a call today, like, hey, do you have a write-up on how that worked before? Or do you have a quick case study or a quick overview of how you've delivered that before? Mm -hmm. And honestly, having that go-to quick content marketing really helps. It's like, oh, you've, you've been here before. You've done this before. Listening is critical. A lot of people are sometimes waiting for their turn to talk, or we get feedback from clients and from partners all the time that at least our approach is understanding what they're trying to achieve first, and then responding with potential building blocks that can help. Mm -hmm. I've, been on, I've been on some calls with some folks who you listen to the customer describe their use case. And it's almost like, it's almost like you're talking to a drone because they kind of roll right into a description of a service that has nothing to do with what was just talked about. Mm. It's really important to get on the horn and understand what the partner agent, you know, trusted advisor is trying to achieve as well as what's relevant to their customer. And then, okay, what do we, can we help here or maybe not? So in that situation, they had a silo that they knew really, really well. And they were like, well, what I know isn't necessarily what you were talking about, but I'm just going to talk about what I know really well. Yeah. I mean, it's that classic. I think Family Guy did a great episode on it where it shows a biker going into a tattoo parlor and saying how he wants a skull and crossbones. And this goofy character that they always use in Family Guy says, well, I can draw Kermit the Frog. I'm going to draw Kermit the Frog. And the guy's like, what? I want a skull and crossbones. It's like, I'm going to draw Kermit the Frog. You're not quite making the connection on what they're asking for. Which reminds me, let me send you a link later to this woman who got a butterfly tattoo with her friend on a trip. It does not look like a butterfly, Adam. I will send you that link. That is a great little image. Channel communities. Adam, what do you think about channel communities? 
Well, channel communities is that's really so when we build out our program, not to make this a quest podcast about quest partner program, but I'm going to. It's a community of people who, you know, people do business with people and who they trust. And a referral from a partner is worth so much more than apologize to you as the marketing person, Paul, but so much more than any type of content or anything that can be distributed out there to the masses. The community of people who, hey, this person did what they said they were going to do. You know, not everything in IT always goes right. So, you know, when things went wrong, here's how they adjusted. Here's how they dealt with it. And then just being a part of the community and sticking around for more than two years, you see so many people pop in and pop out of these communities, you know, having longevity within the channel. It's not something you can rush. You can't just all of a sudden hop in the community and be known to everybody and everybody knows you. Anecdotally, we were at a um, Talaris Partner Summit earlier this year. They're one of our technology distributor partners, great, great organization of folks. And I think we've been partnering with them for like six or seven years now. And honestly, at that partner summit in Salt Lake City was probably one of the first times when we got there and we're part of it. It's like, we've kind of, we've been around long enough where it's like, okay, we know those guys, we trust those guys. They've been here same team, same organization. Here's how you work with them. Here's what's good. Here's what's not. It's that building that community is, it's a lot of fun to see. I've really enjoyed building that community as part of the Quest program. That's great. Again, I feel like this is one that ties into Quest pretty well, but offering training to meet channel partners. You have to let people be comfortable with talking about what they're going to be putting in front of their customers, right? So training on strategies, training on capabilities. We've had a lot of success just helping with capability reviews, helping organizations understand, you know, what we can help deliver. Some of our most successful vendors that we work with and partners that we work with are folks who continually push out information to our sales engineers, our product specialists, our technical consultants. Hey, here's what's new. Here's what's available. Here's how we can help. Here's the new programs. Here's the new capabilities. Here's the new upgrade. It's things are changing all the time. We have another partner. I think we mentioned Avant earlier. And they actually, I think Paul, you and I talked about this at their last special forces. They create a word called velocity. I think they made this word up, right? The evolution and velocity, they took them together because the velocity of change is moving so quick. They kind of they kind of mash those two words together. And the only way you keep up with that type of stuff is through constant training. So they've done a great job keeping the channel trained up on what's available, what's new. And hey, kudos to that marketing team for creating a new word because it's locked into your brain. You know, how many months ago is that? And it's still in there. It is still in there. And they do have quite a presence on LinkedIn as well, where they do a good job of blasting it out to the universe. Adam, one of the keys to marketing, you got to be consistent and persistent with your message. So this is a long article, and if you'd like to read it, the link will be in the description. Adam, up next, strong partner portals. How do you feel about those? It goes back to that confidence, I think. It goes back to that, hey, I'm trusting my client with this organization. And if this organization can't host a website, which is basically what a partner portal is, it's, inter it's an interactive website that ties back to you know lead registration and the ability to download and share content. If you can't do that, I mean, you're do I really want to trust you in front of my customer? So making a simple, easy to use, easy to manage your username and password, easy to update, easy to download, make it very simple. That's just going to kind of go to that instilling confidence with that partner. Hey, these people, one, they care about the partner as someone who's a value to their team. And they care about the opportunities they're bringing them. And then two, that partner can, it's a force multiplier for that partner's engagement with his, with his or her customers. They can go there, download content, 
register an opportunity, get sales support, you know, know who to call, when to call. It just helps across the board. But at the base of it, it's, hey, who do you trust with this opportunity? Who do you trust is not going to drop the ball? And I think you made a great point. Like, keep it simple. Like, you don't have to make it complex. You don't have to add more and more things onto it. Just kind of simple, clean, and accessible. Yeah, it's got to help that seller, that that partner get the information they need or get access to the resources that they need quickly. Good article. Again, in the description, check it out. The next article is from Channel Futures, Microsoft Research Configuration Errors Behind Most Ransomware Attacks. So new Microsoft research shows 80% or over 80% of ransomware attacks can be traced to common configuration errors in software and devices. So Microsoft's latest edition of CyberSignals spots like security trends and insights. It gathered them from Microsoft's 43 trillion security signals, 8,500 security experts. Microsoft research examines the evolving cybercrime economy and the rise of ransomware as a service. Would you like me to read the quote from Emily Hacker? Well, the quote from Emily Hacker is fantastic, but also a name for someone who specializes in cybersecurity and threat intelligence at Microsoft having a name like Emily Hacker is just fantastic. Let's just, first of all, let's call that out. That's amazing. Also, we should be clear. We changed our last names. Our real names are security as a service. Adam security as a service and Paul security as a service, but we changed it. That's true. Over 80% of ransomware attacks being traced back to common configuration errors. That's really tough to hear, especially when you, when, you know, we, we run an instant response organization, instant containment. And we know how expensive these ransoms can be for organizations. I mean, it can put people out of business. You hear about the big ones, but this happens to thousands of companies all over the country, all over the world from a ransomware perspective. And there are really some simple things you can do around configuration of your Microsoft tenant, of your portal. If you go to your security score within there, we work with folks to kind of review that and make some updates. But yeah, it's not 100% preventable, but there's definitely some simple things people can do to help improve their resilience. Adam, would you like to take a quiz? Sure, I'll take a quiz, yeah. What do you think the four problems that are helping cyber criminals? I'm basing it on the article. Don't cheat, Adam. We all know if you're cheating. What are the four problems you think are helping cyber criminals? Okay, I'm just, I'm not reading the article right now. I'm thinking it's remote users. I think it's lack of multi-factor authentication people using the same username and passwords at different accounts mm -hmm. and people leaving global administrative rights for users and not managing their policies for users that have email access. Crushed it, Adam. Did I? Did I get it? Stolen passwords and unprotected identities. You definitely got that one, 100%. Missing or disabled security products. I think you touched on that in the last one. Misconfigured or abused applications. I think that ties into what you mentioned as well. And slow patching. I don't think you mentioned slow patching. I didn't say patching. How did I miss patching? That's you did. Ah, but three for man. three for four, Adam. Three for four. That's a C. That's passing. You're graduating. Hey, it worked in college. It works again. <laughs> hey, but you know what? That that didn't work for Family Feud. I mean, if Family Feud definitely the other team could definitely have stolen there. Good point. But yeah, that's a great that's a great point. The slow patching. Funny story. I sent out a um. We send out alerts all the time from our security operations center and our, our knock around, hey, FYI, if you have this in your environment, you might want to take these actions. Talking about going back to our previous article, I sent it out to a bunch of partners last week. It was about a vulnerability within um, within VMware. And I had previously sent it out about the one about, about an Apple that we talked about last time around how it could 
you could lose access to your device. It was funny because the one of the partners fired back with, okay, that's great, but what is that? So what? What does that mean to us? Like, mm. so, so like, hey, this is a vulnerability and you're telling us as a security provider that our customers might care about this, but what does that mean to us as a trusted advisor, or as a consultant, or as a partner? What does that mean to us? And that slow to patch or misconfiguration of an application or you know, disabled security, to me, and this is me with my sales hat on, those are all money signs to me. Those are all areas where, hey, they have security products that are misconfigured or they haven't been patching or they have applications that are being abused from, a, from an access and user standpoint. Those are all dollar signs to me because we live in this world, right? Mm. I know what it takes to patch. I know what it would cost to help someone manage their group policies or help, help to clean up their environment. But sometimes partners and even customers don't realize what it takes to manage these products. I think there's a misconception in the security space and even at the partner level that people we work with, hey guys, yeah, you sold them the endpoint protection you sold them the AV or you sold the firewall, that's great. Mm -hmm. But there's an ongoing cost to maintaining that. There's an ongoing cost to managing that. There's an ongoing cost to kind of getting that right. You only have to get it wrong once and the bad actors can have access. So I think it's always good to kind of, kind of talk about there's that discipline aspect of there are a lot of different angles that can go wrong here. How are you going to help people you know, main, maintain a good security posture? I think sometimes in our culture, we just take that for granted. I just, yeah, of course, here's the, here's the gap that you need to help your clients plug. Obviously, you can make money doing that, right? Maybe not so obvious. Maybe it's not thought of that way. Yeah, maybe not. I think what you said makes a lot of sense. So everybody listening right now is wiser for it. Well, even further in the article, it talks about security hardening saves money. It does save money in the long run because you, you might avoid some ransomware situations, but yeah, I put the time in. So let me help people out. Security hardening, think of it this way. Have you ever walked in to pay for gas at a store and you look down and you see your shoes untied and you're like, eh, forget it. I'll tie it later. I'm busy. I don't want to bend over and tie it right now. And then you go in and you trip and you knock something over and you're like, well, now I got to buy that. Because I just, that's that was a costly thing I should have fixed. The point is, tie your shoes, people. Security hardening. Is that a good way of looking at security hardening? Yes. Nailed it. Exactly right. like tying your shoes. 100%. And this is on the way to Comic-Con as you're dressed <laughs> as Wolverine. I don't think Wolverine had, lice, uh, had laces. I think he was a boot guy. <laughs> oh, that's what I get trying to talk Wolverine. Yes. Yes. You know your Wolverine, Adam. I do. Adam, we've done it. They said it couldn't be done, but we've reached the final article of this podcast. CRM reports that VMware growth and SaaS subscription sales lead revenue surge. Subscription and SaaS revenue for the quarter was up 22% year over year, reaching 943 million. That made up 28% of the company's overall revenue. Yeah, these uh, subscription-based services and you know VM, we're seeing this across the board and a lot of folks who have moved their model to the reoccurring revenue, even if it's an annual reoccurring revenue, it's a different way to consume it. And VMware definitely surprised and had a good beat on this one. You know, they recently obviously are going through their acquisition discussions with Broadcom, and I'm sure that's something that the Broadcom folks like to see. But the SaaS versus perpetual subscription can lead to some up upside when folks are trying to renew their contracts for sure. 
prior to yesterday's earning announcement, it was predicted that VMware subscription revenue would rise 22%. However, it also stated licensing revenue would fall 17%. Instead, VMware's revenue as a result of license rose 7.8% to 796 million. That's a lot of numbers I was just reading, but the point is it beat expectations. Yeah, and I you know, I think that that licensing versus subscription revenue, they're trying to still figure out that balancing act between annual reoccurring versus just straight licensing purchases. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those trends that we continue to see. Everyone is kind of shifting towards more of the subscription-based licensing models. Mm -hmm. And we manage and maintain and offer and coordinate those things with VMware. We kind of operate on both sides of that fence. So it really depends on how the customers want to consume it. And I think we're seeing more and more people culturally in the United States move towards that, towards that subscription model. Adam, it's that time. We did it. We accomplished what we set out to do. We covered the three stories we felt were the most important for people to know about. Yeah, these are good. And like we, you know, we always talk about if anyone's got any ideas around what they're seeing out there and wants to shoot us a note, we got a, a link in the website where you can, or on, on the episode where you can shoot us some information. Any feedback you have, always welcome as well. Yeah. And it goes right to me. You might think it might go to our one of dozens of interns we have here working for this podcast. It doesn't. Right to me. I read it. My eyeballs. Adam, anything coming up this week? Nothing too crazy this week. Got the three-day weekend coming up. So I hope everyone has a great Labor Day. I think we'll maybe record a little bit later next week. But yeah, nothing too crazy. Oh, TV recommendation for you, Adam. And anybody listening who likes a good laugh, it can be a little adult. But then again, you made the recommendation for House of Dragons. So I feel like this is an okay one for me to mention. Chad and JT Go Deep is such a funny mockumentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. I haven't laughed that hard in such a long time. I'll check it out. I know we got Nerd Alert. I know we talked about Channel Con or Comic Con or I don't know, Wolverine and Cyclops, but we got Lord of the Rings, the new one coming out on the second, I think, is the first release date. It is, Adam. And this is the second week in a row you have mentioned it. So have I, I? you I, are yeah. very you are clearly very excited about this Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Could be. It could be. I have a strong geek, a strong geek factor in, in preferences there. So I'll go lift some weights and throw some heavy stuff around the backyard to get the testosterone back up. But yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so guys, yeah, next week, Adam will share what's his favorite dwarf, what's his favorite elf, all sorts of exciting things coming up next week on the Incident Report. Thanks for joining us. Adam, thanks for joining me. This was awesome. Thanks, Paul. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.